Hey there, guys. Welcome to the Waiting for Next Year Guardians podcast. I uh, will be your de facto host, uh, Joe Gerberry. You can call me Gerbs. We have uh, uh, Mitchell Crawl and Ethan Fornes here. Um, this will be our first time that we're doing a podcast, all three of us together. Ethan, you and I did one with Josh last week uh, when baseball was finally back. But uh, this is the first time that uh, we've actually seen Mitchell in person or via zoom screen whatever we're on right now but um yeah glad to have you guys on me and mitch were talking over the uh lockout that we were wanting to do a guardians podcast um that was a little bit more stat centric we have the dairy bros that go on monday um and td and uh matt have been doing a really great job with that but we also wanted to have uh something of our own so we are we are here with that. So we're glad to have Ethan here. He'll um, it won't always be all all three of us. I don't think, but um, it will definitely be at least two of us pretty much every week. So how do you guys you guys want to say hello? Yeah, I can introduce myself. Um, I yeah, like Gerb said, I'm Mitchell. I've I've been writing for Wayne for next year for what? I don't know how long it's been now, like three years. But I haven't. It's, it's been at least two. My, my fingers have not worked lately, so you might not have seen my name on the bylines. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, but I love talking baseball, talking guards, so I'm excited to do this this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be back for the second time. Mitchell, it's fantastic to, to have you on this time. I know we're all going to kind of be rotating around, but since last week's pod, I really wish we had something extra to uh, – dive deeper into but there's been a bunch of rumblings and a bunch of whispers and we'll get into all of it as we go so yeah, yeah. I, I i was joking on the the notes that like we have to start with news uh as we should every week but unfortunately i don't know that there's much to to discuss yep we are pretty uh pretty uh, threadbare out here on news by way of uh guardian stuff uh, the rumors and things we uh We've made some really minor moves, a backup catcher, a random Columbus uh, ad that I honestly don't remember who it actually was. Um, and just I some can... other th- other thing, other names that have been moving around, you know, uh, oh, there it is. Ian Giebalt. Yeah, thank you for attempting Giebalt. his name. I was going to say, like, I have no idea how to say that yeah. guy's name. Oh, I'll <laughs> try. Get, I'll just, I'll just barrel right backup in. Backup catchers, I will say. Uh, we got the dude from Milwaukee who I have already forgotten his name, but he was oh, yeah, the Dave, PTBN from the JC Mejia deal before the David Fry. Started. He's interesting. David Fry, that's it. Yeah, he's oh, yeah, he's he's the guy that can play pretty much anywhere, right? Yeah, he's played every he's played every position besides pitcher in his professional career, which is kind of fun. And he may get um, there this year. Who knows? Pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> it only take one blowout, man. David Fry might pitch a game. It's true. It's true. We'll we'll get we'll get there when we need to get there. We don't want to we don't want to start that off just yet. So who would have thought that the first uh, player we we name checked on here is David Fry? That's the kind Correct. of podcast this is. We That's we only talk at. about the deep cuts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so getting into the um, the lack of activity, um, what was your guys's number one missed target that Cleveland has not gone out was not able to get this year? Uh, Ethan, do you want to go first with your first missed target? Who was somebody that you were salivating at getting? It can be reasonable or unreasonable, but someone that you were uh, wanting the uh, the Guardians to to have, but uh, were unable to uh, make that happen. 
so he starts as reasonable, but how he wound up with his new deal uh, may have shifted into the unreasonable territory. But I, I 100% believe that Matt Olson was front and center on our radars. Um, you know, you're talking about a guy coming off of an absolute career year, uh, was in the platinum glove conversation at first base out in Oakland, clubbed 30 plus homers, 30 plus doubles, was just an absolute monstrosity out in the Coliseum. He had two years left on his deal. Um, and obviously that was all going to scale. I think he was due something in the neighborhood of 12 and a half million, uh, arbitration this coming season. So would have made him the most expensive player on our roster over Jose, who's due 12 million flat this year. Um, but obviously the eight year extension that he signed with Atlanta and the money that he ended up getting, I, I do fully believe that we kicked the tires on him, but knowing that the extension was probably part of the trade, I don't know if Cleveland would have been comfortable giving a the prospect package, even though we have it with our deep farm system and Oakland's lack thereof of a farm system. But I, I think knowing that the team has hopefully a plan in the back in the back of their mind that the money that they would have needed to attribute to Olsen was just not in the cards. Yeah, Olsen definitely was up there for me as well. Like I, like uh, like you said, it was it would have solved a lot of problems because he he hasn't played as much outfield. I know he's always carried. I, I play a lot of fantasy baseball. I know he's always carried first base outfield eligibility, but uh, that wasn't something that he's been known to do. And like you said, he was a platinum glove at first, so he's obviously better there. Um, but that prospect hall, the the Christian Pache, I think it's Pache. Uh, Shay Langoliers, Ryan Kuziak, and Joey Estes. Uh, Mitch, what's that like? I, I hate doing comps, but what is a uh, commiserate Cleveland haul that would have gone to Oakland in that regard? Yeah, they got so those like four real prospects. You're looking at two guys who are really close to the majors uh, in Langoliers and in. Uh, I can never say his name because I've read it. I think it's Pache. Yeah. But yeah. Sure. And then and then Kusik is more of like a I don't I, there aren't too many guys. Maybe like a Co- Cody Morris would be kind of close, but he's Morris is closer. There aren't perfect fits, but it, it was four legitimate prospects. I mean, four guys that Atlanta, at least three, including Kusik, that you know, Atlanta fans were probably like. Uh, I'm going to miss that guy. Like I, I was dreaming on that guy, but I mean, compared to Olsen, um, you know, those, those guys are low impact. I, the thing with uh, Atlanta as well is because they got rid of Freeman or they, they didn't sign Freeman. So to them, it's almost like a, a, a lateral move. And then you don't, that's not even factoring in like the world series hero element to it. So I can see it being bittersweet for Atlanta fans, but to Cleveland fans, you better believe that trade would have been like, you know, the story of the off season. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, who was your uh, one target that was missed that you, uh... yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I didn't think this was a, there wasn't a ton of like great fits for Cleveland. Uh, like with, you know, we need outfielders, the, uh, the, the guardians have needed outfielders for the last half decade. Uh, and there weren't of the century. <laughs> absolutely. So there just weren't too many like outfielders that would legitimately improve the situation while at the same time, like not costing too much money. 
So the guy that I think was on everyone's radar that came off really quickly was Mark Canna. Um, he was a guy who is a little older. Uh, he's 33, so he wasn't going to sign for that long. And he has been a consistently above average offensive player the last four seasons. Uh, he definitely would have been an improvement. And at the price tag that he signed, two years, $26 million total, uh, that's something that wouldn't have broken the bank for Cleveland. So that's a little frustrating. Another quick one is uh, Chris Taylor. Uh, he got four years, $60 million from the Dodgers, and he can play infield and outfield. That one would have been a lot of fun. Uh, might have given the Dodgers a little bit of a hometown discount, unclear. But uh, that could have been a cool one for, for Cleveland as well. Yeah, they're those guys. <laughs> your, two, your two guys were guys that signed before the lockout. Mm-hmm. And uh, I almost forget that those things like actually happened. <laughs> so like, I, I keep forgetting that there was a time before the lockout that they actually there were guys signing free agency deals um, in the, in that span. But yeah, Canna would have been a nice one. Um, I think one common thread though th- between the two of you obviously is that uh, there was a need for a first baseman, a need for a first base bat, something that would add a little bit of thump to the. Uh, the lineup that's not Owen Miller, uh, somebody that's a little bit more consistent than Bobby Bradley, um, as much as uh, our own Bodie likes to. Uh, yeah, I see the eye roll, <laughs> but um, as much as uh, Bodie likes to thump the uh, the the Bible of Bobby Bradley, that's uh, it. Just doesn't seem like it's happening as much as uh, he would like. Um, as far as my missed target, I really wanted some help in the in the bullpen. Um, and Archie, there's, so I don't really have one, but there's guys like Archie Bradley, Michael Givens today signed somewhere. There's a bunch of those low Tapera. end to pair up was another one, but all those guys that could have helped out that, uh, because the back end of our bullpen is class a, and then maybe Karen check, maybe may- ghost. Right. Yeah. We still and, don't know what's going to happen with Sandlin. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had a really nice rookie campaign and then is going to come off of an injury as, what, a 27-year-old? So, is he that yeah. Old? He's up there. He was a later bloomer, a later debut. He might know. He's he's actually 25. He's younger. Yeah. But he is. He was a – I think they draft him as a senior in, in college, so he definitely was on the older end. But the that. fact that Anthony goes is right now listed as our like second guy, our seventh inning guy is a, a major problem when it comes to the bullpen. Yeah. Um, you know, we're you're looking at a, a guy that is 31, was an outfielder, hasn't pitched, you know, really meaningful innings in a major league, you know, bullpen. And and he's the, the third guy on a team that might have playoff hopes i just it's 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 bad it's bad back there and so you uh, really struck a chord with me with bradley because he was yes. a guy who just a couple of days ago that i i mentioned i would really like to see because you're you're talking about a guy who had some pretty dynamite back-to-back campaigns as the diamondbacks closer after transitioning out of the rotation and then the last couple of years his peripherals peripherals have just kind of fallen off of a cliff but, you know, you, you take a look at that guy and you think about Cleveland's history with pitching and what they can do with a guy. You know, he got one year and sub $4 million with the Angels. And that helps them bolster bullpen, but I can't help but think, you know, that kind of left-handed arm out of our bullpen 
with our pitching staff and our track record of turning guys like that around on one-year deals. But I, I think that's one of the bigger misses. You know, we weren't really going to go after a Colin McHugh who at 35 commanded way more money than I think anybody at 35 deserves. Um, right. I would have considered the $4 million that the Mets gave Adam Adovino for that nasty slider. Oh, yeah. An another guy with some declining peripherals with the Yankees last year. You just don't know where that's going to go. But, you know, that's not unrealistic money for the Guardians with the third lowest payroll in baseball. Um, so I think Adovino and Bradley really strike a chord for me in the bullpen for guys that really could have been here for less than $10 million that would have really done some good for us. For sure. It's not too late for Kenley. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it it might be too late for Kenley, but that's yeah. a good lead in for um, there are still free agents that are out there. Um, and so when we're looking at current free agent targets, that could still be that we could be talking about being a signing for next week when we're back on here. Um, for me, the guys that are still out there that I want, I was really sad that Jock signed with San Francisco, Jock Peterson. Um, that was a big miss that I, I easily could have been a platoon bat in one of the corners. Um, you know, we talked last week about Zimmer and Mercado um, pair jock up with or Mercado and you've got a, a decent, you know, corner bat. Um, but uh, uh, guys that are still available, you have your Michael Confortos, you have your Nick Cassianos, uh, Andrew Schnicki would be uh, over the moon if we were able to get Cassianos in here. But um, those guys are those guys are what I'm looking at. But I really want uh, Tommy Pham has been linked to Cleveland for a couple time a uh, couple weeks now. Just it, it it keeps getting dropped in there and dropped in there. And two years twenty mil is not a whole lot. That's where his um, Fangraphs projected uh, salary would be, and that's a that's a nice steadying force. That you know is that six or seventh bat in the lineup that's not going to it's going to it's not going to block the way from anybody that's coming up but also would be able to almost be that that uh that table setter that francona likes to have at the back end of the lineup so yeah there's no doubt fam's a that he's just a professional hitter like dude sure. knows how to get on base knows how to you know he's got great swing decisions out there last year uh, many of his peripherals were down. He, he's looking like a guy who can get like a, a real bounce back. And that's actually kind of the Guardian's MO historically, is sign guys whose mm -hmm. value is depressed from a, a bad final season on their previous contract, uh, which is kind of a good segue into the biggest name they've been linked with, uh, Trevor Story. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's got a lot of Guardians fans kind of baffled because – the story of this team and this offseason has been, oh my I gosh. You, I see what you did there. The story of this team. <laughs> and that was not intended. You um, can take you can take the you can take the fingers away from the writer, but you can't take his brain. <laughs> well, that's a that's a nice thing to say. Uh no, I the thing he fits the bill for the Guardians. Um he he is a guy who struggled in his final year of his contract. He's a guy who might sign like a shorter deal, you know, one or two year contract to, to approve it contract because his market has been so devalued. There aren't many teams looking for shortstops right now. Uh, so it kind of makes sense from a financial aspect, uh, even if it doesn't make much sense positionally. And, you know, they'll find a way to make it work. Ahmed Rosario has already been rumored to be playing left field this year. So 
You know, I wouldn't poo-poo this uh, story signing were it to happen. Uh, I think it, it could definitely work. Yeah, I, you know, I we've discussed this before uh, off camera, but I, I do, I'm definitely more of the, the poo-poo side of this thing. Um, you know, I, I know the team seems adamant about playing Rosario at shortstop as much of a misadventure as that is. Um, but I can't help but feel like the left field aspect kind of hints towards it. Um, you know, if you would have asked me before the lockout happened, had the Guardians been in on Trevor Story, what I would have thought, I would have told you that no matter what, he's got to play second base. The farm is loaded with middle infield talent coming up. We have shortstops out the you-know-where and the team is yet to pull that trade that they need to even sign anybody. The 40-man roster is still full. You know, we still have to add Sandy Leon as a backup catcher. We might even add Luke Bailey before the season starts because you just never know what's going to happen. But Story is one of those guys where I'm not going to be mad if he comes here, but it needs to be a short-term deal, and he needs to be open to the idea of at least playing part-time second base. Because I think Jimenez, who is going to be our opening day second baseman, still needs to have his shot at shortstop. And then you're looking at only two, maybe three years tops away from all the likes of Gabriel Arias, Brian Rocchio, and Jose Tena. And you do not want to wall that off long term. Yeah, the the issue that I see with Story, um, as you said, there's obviously the the blocking of, of guys that, you know, that could be futures. Uh, for us, your stars even, but um, his home or ro- his home road splits are pretty awful. Uh, I mean, we don't want to necessarily go 100% off of average here, but just for last year, he had a uh, almost a hundred point drop in batting average home and away. It was 296 at home, same, same amount of games, slightly fewer uh, plate appearances, but 296 at home, 203 on the road. Um, that's a guy that was obviously taking advantage of the thin air in Colorado. Um, the other thing is uh, with Boston missing out on Freddie Freeman, who signed the massive deal out with the Dodgers. There was a report this morning from John Heyman that Boston was going to ta- uh, take its targets on Trevor story. Um, it was kind of a, to me, it's a nice little undercover deal for Cleveland. If story's not getting looks elsewhere. If he's coming to Cleveland and getting that one-year deal, then that's you know that's probably the best way for him to come here. It's not really happening if uh, if he's trying to if the, if Boss is going possibly long-term deal or multiple years, you know it's 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 looking less and less like Cleveland might be able to make that happen. Yeah. So, no. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead okay. Okay. So. All I was gonna say. <laughs> okay. Uh, all I was gonna say, just a quick follow-up on that. It's like. There's no way he's signing a long-term deal here. If they were to sign him, it would no. be a short-term deal. And if Boston signs him, it could be a short-term deal there, too. I mean, they have a shortstop as well. Um, I just don't see him signing a long-term deal and taking less than what he feels he deserves. I So I think there is a possibility they take a shorter deal. And if that does happen, it kind of makes sense in Cleveland financially. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to touch on that too. I, I, there's absolutely no way that Boston is going to move their two-time World Series championships shortstop Xander Bogarts to second over Trevor Story. For sure, and I doubt Trevor Story wants to play second base full time. But it's funny that you mentioned Boston and Cleveland because I think those are the only two parks 
that Trevor really benefits from outside of cores. You know, you're talking about a, a right-handed batter who he may not hit 30 home runs a season outside of cores, but he could comfortably hit 20 while banging 40 doubles off of right. either our 19-foot wall and left or the green monster and left in Boston. You know, he doesn't have to hit for leave the park power, but you hit anything 10 feet off the wall, you're going to get on base. Yeah, absolutely. What, Cribs, can I can we say one more thing about the story? Yeah. Uh, I just want to comment on your home road splits. Um, one thing that I found interesting with uh, like Coors Field stuff is that um, with elevation and moving from it, I've, I've heard some studies about sleep quality on the road for Colorado players mm-hmm. that, you know, part of the home road splits, it's not just about the, the Coors benefit, but it's also a, a penalty playing on the road. Um, like, obviously, you know, Coors has higher raw numbers, like it, it, including, you know, half the games on the road. Like, obviously, there is a benefit there. But I think it's possible some guys are more affected by the changing uh, altitude than others. Um, you know, I don't think it's I, – I, I, I'd hesitate to dismiss, like, his home road splits as completely, like, Coors Field benefited because we just don't know. Right. I hope Chris Bryant's listening. <laughs> That was a big. That was a big deal that uh, no one really, uh, no one really liked. I don't think Chris Bryant liked it, and Chris <laughs> Bryant's family enjoyed it. But I don't know that Colorado's really happy about it either at this point. Even, but they get their guy. But at what cost? Um, okay, so we've covered free agency. We've covered guys that we've missed. Uh, I want to go and look at uh, possible trades. Ethan, you mentioned how much of a logjam we have in our forty-man roster especially with all of our middle infielders. Um, where is a team, who is a guy that we could possibly target, who, or a team that we could offload some of these uh, middle infield prospects that haven't pro, haven't had a chance to prove themselves, but um, also are, are ready to, to do as such? So I got two guys for you to keep an eye on, and I touched on both of them about a month ago, but since then, that market has kind of started to develop or at least has hinted at it. Uh, So the first one is Chicago Cubs center fielder Ian Happ. Uh, The Cubs this week signed Seiya Suzuki. I think he got five years, 85 mil, I want to say, out of the NPB. Um, And the the Cubs are one of those teams where, as I've watched their offseason between the signing of Marcus Stroman, but the the subtraction of Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and Javier Baez, I just I don't know what that team expects to do. You can't discount I, the addition of Nicky Gwynn, Nick Madrigal. I cannot. That is a that is a WFN monster. That's a WFNY private side Discord uh, nickname that we've given to uh, Nick Madrigal. So just want to make sure we uh, mention that as often as possible. I do not mean to disrespect Nicky Gwynn, but I will say it's, it's, it's one of those rosters where you just kind of look at it and some question marks start to form. They're definitely trying to rebuild on the fly. It's more of a retool than a rebuild and they're doing everything that they can. But realistically, when you look at Ian Happ, who's 27 years old now, he's had five or six seasons with the Cubs. He's running out of time on his team control, and I don't know if the Cubs really want to sign him long-term. But as a 27-year-old, you're talking about a guy who has a 112 WRC plus in his career, which would be a significant boon to us. He's played most of his career in center for the Cubs, but since we have straw, he should fit in and left without 
too many issues while the bat would still play. Uh, but the real reason why Ian Happ makes so much sense for us, two new executives with the Guardians, so new hitting coach Chris Valaika came to us from the Cubs. He spent 2019 and 2020 as Chicago's minor league hitting coordinator and 2021 as their assistant hitting coach. In 2019, Happ spent 99 games in AAA Iowa trying to get right after a pretty nasty slump where Valaika was working directly with him and then spent all of 2021 with him as the hitting coach last year with the Cubs. So now he joins us. But furthermore, we also added former Cubs, what is his title? I have him here. The assistant amateur scouting director, Lucas McKnight. So he used to be a player in the Cubs organization and actually worked his way into the front office. He was one of the amateur scouts the year that Ian Happ was drafted. I was not in their draft room, but it is humanly possible that McKnight had a hand in drafting Happ. But now, this year, he is joining Cleveland as our senior scout of player acquisitions. And if you think he's not looking at players that he may have once drafted or once lorded over, I don't know why we hired him. But Hap kind of really checks a lot of boxes for us. You know, you get a, a power bat. He's got a pretty alarming strikeout rate. I know his career is 30%, but he does walk between 12 and 14% of the time. He hits about 240, and he's a good 20 homer, 20 double kind of guy. And he's shown that pretty consistently over four or five years now. So he would be an improvement over Oscar Mercado or Bradley Zimmer. Uh, and the other one, with not a whole lot of legs to stand on, other than he's been mentioned in rumors since the team told Kevin Kiermeyer he's there to stay. I've heard Austin Meadows' name show up a couple of times recently. He would be a more expensive ask. He's another 27-year-old, but I know he's already due 5 mil on arbitration this year, and it's only going to go up from there. He had kind of a down year, so you might be able to make kind of a low-ball offer for him while the Rays work with trying to get Fidel Brujan up. They had a 20-homer, 20-steal, 20-double guy in the minors last year, and Josh Lowe in AAA, who they really want to get in there, who's a top 50 prospect in baseball. So Meadows might be a guy just to watch on the rumor mill. I have no idea what the cost is going to be on him. But knowing the Rays and how they operate as he gets more and more expensive with only one or two years of control left, they might want to try and unload him. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. Yeah, uh, like I say, Meadows was definitely a, a bigger name target that uh, would be out there. Um, I think this would be his third organization, correct? He'd be he was with Pittsburgh, came mm-hmm. over in the Glasnow trade, um, the Chris actually, Archer the, trade, Chris Archer trade. With Glasnow. Yeah, um, and then uh, so yeah, it would be great to get Meadows and have him plunk down in left field. It would uh, maybe keep somebody like a Steve Kwan back down, but. Um, I think you plug Meadows into right field. I think the bat plays better. And I still think you take a guy with an 80 grade hit tool like Juan and still put him in left field as your starting sure. guy. And then you make Bradley and Mercado your four and five. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Mitch, what are your, uh, your, your trade targets? Yeah, I think, um, I think it'd be a lot of fun to get in on this fire sale in Oakland. 
Um, they've got a couple of guys who fit the bill for uh, you know, Cleveland acquisitions, guys who have long-term team control, uh, pre-arb or early-arb players. Um, the two I have in mind are Ramon Laureano and Sean Murphy. Uh, was, I've been banging. I knew you were. Hard. I knew you were going to bring up Murphy. I wasn't sure if you were going to bring up Loriano. I was going to make sure that that got mentioned. That that was a guy that uh, definitely could help. I've yeah, been hearing I, about this all week, and now you guys have to too. Loriano <laughs> is a, um, you know, maybe has a reputation as a glove first guy. Uh, he had that famous play where he caught a a, a long fly ball in center field, uh, left center field, and then planted his back foot and threw it on the fly to first base to double up the runner. And that play was amazing, and I'd love to see plays like that in Cleveland. Uh, but he's also an above-average hitter. He has been every year of his career, um, and he would fit in really nicely in this lineup. Uh, he does have a PED suspension that he's serving the last uh, 27 games of. Uh, but that doesn't scare me, and I don't think it should scare anyone else. Um, you know, we just saw with Class A I, uh, that, you know, I'm skeptical that um, guys see serious penalties from the PED suspensions, uh, and I don't think that should play too much into uh, their mind. And then regarding Murphy, uh, the guy is a uh, bat first. That, that's actually unfair. He is an all-around very good catcher. He is a good fielder. He can hit. He has power. Um, classic Guardians buying a uh, player in their down year. In fact, that might even be the downfall of this trade. Uh, Oakland might not be willing to part ways with him after he uh, put up a career-low 99 WRC plus last year and 448 plate appearances. Uh, projections expect him to bounce back, and his glove is well-regarded throughout the game and statistically – and he is not due to become a free agent until after the 2025 season. He'd solve the catching issue for um, years to come, and then you can move Labastida off of catcher. He's already been playing some first base. Um, and then Naylor, there was talk of him going into the outfield uh, right when they drafted him, and that never happened. You lock up that position for a long period of time. Um, you know, Maybe you can try and get the most out of, of the catcher's bats in the minor leagues. Uh, so those those would be my guys. Uh, I'd really like to see them just, you know, let go of a few of these prospects. They've got so many of them. Uh, yeah, make the make the major league team better. Invest in the team. Yeah, we have the the Guardians organization has definitely turned into one of those. It's a a, a dragon horde situation where you are you you have all of the the stuff, you have all the assets, but they're only assets if you are actually trading them they're not there if they're just sitting there in columbus then they're not really doing anything for you other than just being nice and pretty and on you know prospect lists and um, hopefully good in two years right yeah we can every every year is two years away for uh guardians uh prospects so okay so we've covered uh the lack of the of, of free agency talk um i wanted to go over your opening day lineups uh, ethan i kind of had gotten yours last week Mitch, what um, what are your biggest questions about this current roster right now? I touched on the bullpen and my worry of uh, back end help on that. Uh, do you have that same issue, or, or do you have that same concern, or you um, you have other other uh, problems that you are looking at that you want to see filled? Yeah, I think the bullpen's interesting. We can definitely talk about the bullpen a little more. Um, one guy that I think deserves some spotlight that we haven't talked much about is Sam Hentges. 
Um, uh-huh. Sam Hentges, the so I've seen him listed six six. I've seen him lifted listed at six eight. He's a big Minnesotan and uh, he throws real hard. Um, and last year he started some games and he relieved some games. And when he started, he was very very bad. Uh, but <laughs> when he was a reliever, he was actually still pretty bad. Uh, but not quite as bad. And uh, he allowed an absurd amount of home runs on contact. Um, you'd expect that number to go down. Um, that's just a classic uh, fluke. You know, that's a classic, um, you know, that's a classic peripheral that we'd expect regression on. If a guy is seriously good or seriously bad at um, preventing home runs on their fly balls, uh, we'd expect that to go right back toward the, the league average. And actually as a reliever last year, uh, Hengis was horrible at allowing uh, home runs off of his fly balls. That should change. Um, you know, I'm really interested in a guy who throws 97 miles per hour as a lefty from a weird arm slot with a wipeout slider. I mean, it almost reminds you of uh, uh, some other guys who have had success in uh, in Cleveland out of the bullpen. And uh, maybe that's an unfair comparison, uh, you know, bringing up Andrew Miller, but it's hard not to. Uh, no, I, I, anytime I see him come out of the bullpen, I, you just are waiting for that, that backdoor slider, that back foot slider and burying him on it for strike three. Yeah. It's not like we should expect him to become Miller. I mean, that's unreasonable. Miller was one of the best relief pitchers of the, the decade. Uh, but he's got the stuff. That's all I'm saying. He's got the stuff and he's got the physical similarities, uh-huh. uh, which is really cool. Um, so that's that's kind of my guy that I'm spotlighting in the bullpen. Uh, there's a prospect, Cody Morris. I, I mentioned him earlier. He's been a starter, but I think we'll probably see him out of the bullpen this year, uh, especially in the beginning when uh, the team really needs guys to eat innings. These uh, starting pitchers won't be worked up to their full uh, length. So I think we're going to see a lot of starters pitching out of the bullpen, two, three innings. Um, it's going to be a really weird start to the year. Yeah, the compressed spring training is really going to be wonky. I don't know how much these guys are actually have been stretched out. Um, I know there was some quote from Justin Verlander that was I expected the lockout to go further longer or something like that. So you mm. he said he was behind. Don't know really know how much of that was a joke or how much of that was a uh, or a reality. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I I hadn't really thought about needing those innings early on and having that, uh, that not stretched outness to them. If that's mm-hmm. I think Meisel, I think Meisel said that Francona uh, expects them to be give or take 65. Like maybe you see Bieber and Savali uh, getting a little over that number, but I yeah, did I see, mean, I did see Bieber say that he was trying to take it slower this year, that he has been trying to get ramp. He's has a tendency to, get rimmed up earlier and with his injury play uh 2021 last year he wants to take it a little bit slower this year to to make sure that he's he's right and because i mean he he only had what a a handful of starts and then he was out for the whole year right yeah that's right no i think uh i mean i hope for his sake and his health that is the case and he pitches a, a full 2022 season um but i do think we're gonna end up seeing like you know, uh, Logan S. Allen pitching two innings out of the bullpen and, you know, Hengis pitching two innings out of the bullpen, Stefan pitching two innings out of the bullpen, 
Morris, like I mentioned. Um, it's it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. Yeah, so I, I really like, believe it or not, the, the Tampa Bay Rays and Kevin Cash's approach to spring training that I've been reading up on recently. Cash has been their first three or four games he's just giving to the kids. You're hardly going to see any of their major league-ready arms uh, in spring training while those guys get an extra bullpen session in, they get an extra long toss in, and he wants those guys to be able to go four, five, six innings in their first spring training starts because they have a full week's fewer games. And that's something that I've actually been concerned with with our players. Uh, maybe not necessarily the pitchers, but there's fewer reps to go around, and you're you're talking about trying to get as many of your 26 that you know are going to be on your roster as many reps as possible, so they're ready April 7th. But I do have one fun note to add on our pitching. I saw this on Twitter this afternoon from one of the Guardians baseball insider guys. Uh, Joe Collins got this really fun quote out of Tristan McKenzie out in Arizona earlier this afternoon. They asked him, you know, where do you see the pitching rotation going? How far can that carry you? And I only have half the quote here, but I just love this bit and this bit of attitude from McKenzie. He says, I think the real question is, what's the floor? Hmm. So this is a guy who really came around the second half of last season with Cal Quantrill. Uh, I know last week we discussed Zach Plezak was a 10-game winner, but his peripherals are atrocious. Uh, and we already have the attitude issues with him between what happened in Chicago two seasons ago and him absolutely punching a wall. I mean, smacking his hand on the back of a chair, taking his jersey off. Um, and Aaron Savale, how sustainable has he been? He, we've had two really good years of Savale, but we really don't know how repeatable that is for a 10-year career. But I really like McKenzie with this quote coming out of here. After seeing what he and Quantrill did down the stretch last year, really carrying a team that had no business winning 80 games to winning 80 games. Yeah, for sure. Um, Six is a, uh, is a guy that I think definitely has the ability to not only impress, but also bring fans in, which is, it, it's a guy that uh, he's, he's a homeboy. He's a guy that brought up, that came up through the system, but also his, his body type is something that is, um, it, it, it harkens back to the opposite way, but Dontrell Willis of, you know, where it was, Willis was such a, a weird delivery, such a bigger guy, but, uh, McKenzie has, you know, with his skinny skeleton arms, um, pitching as fast as he does, and that's going to get some people in and that's, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see, not that you need to bring up a guy because he's going to bring in fans, but you know, it, 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 if he's good, that helps too. Um, yeah, the two names I always think of, the two names I always think of when I think of Tristan McKenzie are Chris Sale and Satchel Page. <laughs> those are good. Yeah, no, he, he's got a lot of those really fun leadership qualities, mm-hmm. and he's probably the next closest thing that we've got to a Francisco Lindor outspoken in front of the camera that has some really good, easy to put out there quotes kind of guys. You know, he's, he's not going to ever be the face of the team or the face of the franchise, but he does have some really underrated leadership qualities and some fun media aspects to him. Naylor, Josh Naylor is also the a guy like that, too. That is very much... nice guy. Yes, yeah. 100%. I think Lloyd just reported that, like, Naylor gave a half-hour press conference that was, like, the greatest press conference he's ever been a part of in his 20-year yeah. career. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty high praise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, and also, who can forget the uh, the uh, what was that press conference with him and his brother? 
that was uh that was very cute like it'd be so fun if they both work out i mean yeah having having the the, the older younger brother dynamic as a part of the team for the sure. alamar brother nostalgia that i would feel would be <laughs> so cathartic all right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up here with one more question. Um, so we covered first, covered uh, the corners, kind of pretty much. Um, what would you guys? What is your um, lineup? Or what? What is your opening day lineup looking like in your head? Obviously, you know we have some moves. I'll, I will afford you one move the, to make, um, whether it be free agency or trade or trades. But uh, go ahead and give me your opening day lineup. Yeah, I'm just going to say we trade Ahmed Rosario, and I don't care who we get back because he just doesn't fit in my concept of the, I'll allow it. this team. Uh, so we're going to trade Ahmed Rosario for some relief pitcher. Sure. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And then, all right, so you got you got Miles Straw leading off uh, playing center field. He is so fun. I hope uh, – speaking of bringing in fans – like he plays the kind of game that I think like old time fans will enjoy. Like only swings at his pitch, slaps the ball all fields, runs really fast, never strikes out, walks a lot. Really, really fun player. Really old school player. He's as close uh, to Lofton as we've ever had. I feel like in center. Loft. I mean, I just had a fun little thing pulled up. Uh, if you look at his, like the percentage of pitches that he swings and misses at. Last year he was third in all of baseball amongst qualified hitters. The two players that swung and missed less often were uh, David Fletcher, the coveted middle infielder mm-hmm. for uh, Los Angeles, and Michael Brantley. Uh, so two two nice names there, and then Miles Straw's sure. third. Um, so that would be my first, my leadoff hitter. I won't talk this long about everyone. Um, yeah, Jose Ramirez is in there at third. Um, let's say Quan. Let's say Quan's batting second, and Ramirez is batting third. Uh, Reyes cleanup and then Naylor at first. Uh, let's say Jimenez at shortstop, Miller at second. Um, Hedges behind the plate. Did I get everything? Maybe I might have missed right, right field. field. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's basically it. We got it. <laughs> that's either Zimmer or Mercado. Eh, okay, let's that's lame. Uh, let's say Michael Conforto. Okay. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm good with yeah. Michael Conforto. That would be a. I'm it, the. I think it was mentioned earlier today. The five the five big remaining free agents in baseball are Conforto, um, Cassianos, Story, Correa, and um, God. I cannot forget. I cannot remember the last one now. Or did I name five? Kenley Jansen. No, it wasn't candidate. There was another hitter, but um, they all have the 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 last oh, vestiges say- of the qualifying offer. So um, it's all guys that are still remaining on that. The other thing, quick note about um, about uh, what's his name? Not why am I blanking on his name? The Conforto. Mets out. Yeah, Conforto. The other thing about Conforto is that he is the classic Guardians by low guy. I know I've hammered this drum before in this podcast, but like. That is the kind of player that you are going to see Cleveland sign in free agency, the kind of guy who is caught like who gets less than he expected at the beginning of the offseason and who is looking to prove it, looking to bounce back. Mm-hmm. That's exactly Conforto. He fits their bill along the story. So Yep. All right, Ethan. Give me your opening day lineup with your one move. 
So it's not going to be all that different. Um, so I'm going to have Straw leading off, playing center. We're going to have Quan in left, batting second. Jose playing third and batting third. I, I I really don't see too many scenarios where that changes a whole lot. Um, we're going to do Fran Meal, batting cleanup, DHing the occasional right field spot. But I'm actually going to slap Richie Palacios in the five hole and put him in right field. Uh, hello, Suchi. Uh, I think that's going to be somewhat of a surprise move. I just, I know I said last week that I think Zimmer did enough to save his job, but I don't know if it's enough to have him in the starting lineup. And I really think Mercado's days are numbered. So I think Palacios is really going to challenge for that starting right field job, or at the very least, he's going to platoon with Zimmer to start the year, just because the hit tool is so much better. You're talking about a guy that's going to hit for average and strike out significantly less than Zimmer in an ideal world. Um, and then I'm probably going to have Rosario and Jimenez six and seven uh, up in the middle, second base shortstop. I would love to have Jimenez at shortstop, but we've already been told that that's not going to happen. And then we're going to round out with Hedges catching. And I'm going to stick Naylor ninth just because I don't know what the health looks like. I've loved his press conferences. I've loved his attitude. Everything that I've seen so far, I, I saw a video from Andy Bell of that man launching two mammoth home runs on three pitches, um, you know, not in live batting practice, but just with somebody tossing pitches to him from behind a net. I need to see him in game action. I need to know the angle's healthy, but I'm going to say he probably plays first base. And Lord knows I want nothing to do with Bobby Bradley. Sorry, Bodie. But that's an improvement that I would have really liked to make. And at this point, I can't even make the move because I don't know who's an improvement. I, I've had Luke Voigt shoved down my throat the last few days, and I also want nothing to do with that. I almost would have rather gone and gotten Daniel Vogelbach before the Pirates did. Um, you know, there's just not a win-win option right now for us at first base. So I'm going to stick Naylor ninth and say he's our starting first baseman and would prefer that he platoons with Yu Chang rather than Bobby Bradley. I do not enjoy the three true outcomes player as I've been previewing our prospects this season and understanding that Cleveland is going for a lot more of guys who hit for average. They're not trying to go for launch angle. They're trying to go for gaps. Bobby Bradley is just not the kind of player that fits the MO that is going to be this team in two seasons. Yeah, I, I agree. I, that's my preference as well. I always prefer contact guys. Um, you can, you can, beef a guy up you can teach a guy to hit him hit the ball a little bit harder hit, hit the ball a little bit at a better angle it, it's harder to teach somebody to hit the ball than it is to teach him how to hit it higher so um i i have always preferred the contact guys over the three true outcomes that being said uh bobby bradley is probably in my first base opening day lineup so uh top four same as you guys i have Quan in left field um, but Strauss leading off Quan, Jose, Fremel, uh, Bobby Bradley hitting that fifth spot because they like having that big beefy bat behind Fremel. Um, six spot six. Uh, this is where I'm going to add in uh, Tommy Pham as my one move that I will make um, in right field. Uh, then Rosario, uh, Hedgy, and then uh, Jimenez at. Uh, Preferably short, but probably second. But flip a coin on Ahmed and uh, Andres, whatever they want to do there. Um, 
there's no real have we ever, we've never gotten any kind of an idea as to why they prefer Ahmed at shortstop other than it possibly being a little bit of a Tito's boys situation where um he's the, he's the the veteran so they they I, I feel like that's probably more likely but um well they also sent uh Jimenez down after like right. a terrible April last year and and um Rosario hit well last year like mm-hmm. he legitimately was an uh, elite average major league hitter. So like, it's hard to say, all right, like we're going to have this prospect who was terrible to start the year, take your spot and you're going to go play somewhere else. I, I think that's Cleveland's not the kind of team that does that. Right. Tampa's the kind of team that does that. Cleveland's not the type right. of team that does that. Um, yeah. That said, like Jimenez is, a really, really, really good defensive player, and and Rosario is really, really not like terrible instincts defensively. Um, so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that they're going to put the right team on the field given the personnel that they have. I'm not hopeful that they'll get the right personnel, but I am hopeful that given their personnel, that they will at the end of the day put it in the right spots. Ethan, any last words before we end up tonight? We would be remiss if we didn't go over the major topic of the last 48 hours. And I see we already have a question from Kevin here. We have to address Jose Ramirez. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily. Yep, okay. Yep, let's do it. So, big one. Uh, The Ramirez trades that uh, have been thrown about, it is a little... uh, suspect um you know we keep hearing from paul paul hoynes that uh tito's saying that tito himself is saying that he's not going anywhere um yet these these rumors with toronto keep popping up one i obviously you can't make somebody not call you and you're and cleveland is always has made it their uh mo to always uh you know, take uh, take requests, take uh, trade offers from teams, um, and then have teams leak out what was offered and uh, or what was asked for, and the ridiculous nature of what was asked. But um, what do you guys? Is there any kind of a extension on the horizon? Um, it doesn't seem to make sense for a trade, but is there a Godfather offer that does not include Bodie's? Juan Soto flowchart that uh, you can see a Jose trade being uh, a part of. The thing is, is he, this, the, the state of this roster right now is such that um, they need to consolidate and they need to invest in the major league team. They, uh, I mean, they don't really have any more spaces for players who are close to the majors, but aren't there yet. Um the so the the two options for a Jose Ramirez trade would be for a more major league players like you could flip him like in the Trevor Bauer trade where they got back Naylor and, and Reyes those are two 
Now, I, now I'm not saying they should do that, but that's one that right. actually like makes sense from a roster construction standpoint. Uh, probably not going to happen um, because teams that are looking to get Jose Ramirez probably aren't just like happy to give up two good major league players that he would, you know, that the Guardians would require in return. Like, you know, why would they sign? Why would they? Why would they go after this guy for two years if they're going to give up two good players? Uh, in the major league. So then the only other option is guys who don't need to be added to the 40 man roster yet. That's also not happening for PR reasons. Also, I mean, if this team or, I mean, if this team never wants to be good, they can, they can trade him for a bunch of like single A players, but that, that doesn't make any sense. What makes sense from a roster construction standpoint is them to extend Jose Ramirez to add to this roster. It is at the skit. Like we are at, we're, you know, down to the foundation. Like we have dug out the entire house like it is time to build. It is not time to sell off your last piece. Yes, one one hundred percent with all of that. And to to add to it, we did not get the Godfather offer, but we did float out the Godfather ask that <laughs> absolutely leaked out of Toronto's camp because, as we all know, Cleveland runs a very tight ship. Trades and signings come out of absolutely nowhere. You don't hear anything from us until it's pen to paper, but. Uh, allegedly and i cannot confirm this but apparently somebody went on espn radio and said cleveland asked and to start with toronto's rock star new pitcher alec manoa their number one overall prospect gabriel moreno moreno and another i don't know if he's top 10 but he's definitely top half of their top 30 or he's, he's a top he's a top 30 prospect nationally it, like he's, all a, he's a big prospect yeah he is one i was less familiar with but I, i'm a, he's a single guy Okay, I'm a, I'm a diehard fan of Manoa's. Moreno is as close to a known commodity slash sure thing at catcher as you can imagine right now in, in the landscape of baseball prospects. But, you know, if you ask me right now if I would have taken that trade, no. The answer is yeah. no. We're, we're talking about Jose Ramirez, who's 29 years old. He feels like he's been with us for 20 years. And he's signed for $12 million this year with a $14 million club option next year. We have the third lowest payroll in baseball. And we have one of the strongest farm systems that's ready to burst onto the scene in the next year or two. There is no excuse. And I, I wrote about this this week. There is no excuse not to extend the man. Mm. Uh, and I, I actually did my math wrong in, in my article. So Anthony Rendon is the highest paid third baseman in baseball for 2022. He's owed over $36 million. That's more than Cleveland's 26-man payroll combined. Anthony Rendon is worth more than our whole team. I wrote in my article that if you added, if you gave Jose Rendon's salary, it would put us a hair over $70 million in payroll. I was wrong. I added that to the $12 million that was already existing of Jose's money. You could give Jose the most money of any third baseman in baseball, and we would still only be paying $58 million for an entire payroll. There is no excuse not to pay this man. Yeah. Sign long term. We also don't know the, you know, like there's been a lot of negativity about uh, the way this team is operated financially. And I think it's very fair. Uh, We don't know how it's going to operate in the future. We know that there's a deal on the horizon and it's possible they operate in the exact same way. And that would be very frustrating, but it's also possible that they don't. We know that John Sherman was a minority owner and back, uh, you know, five or so years ago before he bought the Royals. And the team did run a little bigger of a budget back then. Um, 
it's possible that happens again. It's possible it's more. It's possible it's exactly the same as with Dolan alone. We have no idea. But I think there is more reason for optimism or a lack of pessimism now that we have this new opportunity, this new uh, investor. So, uh, you know, I think there I think there is real reason for hope that this will happen. I think there's reason to think he can take a discount. I mean, he's been here his whole career and uh, and he seems to like it. So I, I really think it is in the realm of possibility. Now, I might put it at 4060, but I think it's a real possibility. Discount aside. We're talking about, I, I mean, so Freddie Freeman was offered six one fifty with the race. Boils down to about $25 million a year. That's a contract you could absolutely give to Jose today that starts now and wipes out this year and next year's club option, and you have him until he's 36 years old. And you can pretty comfortably say that you had him for the best years of his life, that you can take the gamble that he'll probably start declining by then. And that contract would not deter us from signing more agents or being able to cope with the rising minimum wage or our players as they become our eligible and prove their worth. But at the same time, you know, uh, Mizell published that beautiful piece about giving Cleveland fans a reason to be excited. If we're going to extend Jose Ramirez, the time is now. And I'm not going to think about what he could do for us in the next six years. I'm already thinking about attending his jersey retirement ceremony in 10. 11 should hang from the flagpoles in Progressive. And it shouldn't it's even be questioned. Wall. Regardless, it, it should not be questioned. 11 should be up there with the greats. I don't disagree. Yep. Yep. You have you have the full agreement of the waiting for next year Guardians bot on that one. So, um and with that, and as, as I said, we, uh, yeah, definitely, you want Jose to be here as long as possible. We definitely do not want to see him playing in another uniform. That would be a kick in the uh, junk that would not really be, um, that would not be good for the longevity of this team. That would not be good for longevity of fandom. That would not be good for um, a lot of things. And uh, yeah, it, it really would be, a nightmare PR wise, which Cleveland admittedly is not great at, but um, it's uh, it's, it's pretty much uh, it should be a no brainer as we've said. So, but all right, guys, well, I am happy with uh, what we've put out here tonight for our first podcast this is the first one I've hosted ever. So happy to, uh, to do it with you. Golf clap. Um, golf clap. Right. Um, as we keep doing this, I want you guys, um, I didn't even know, uh, Ethan, thank you for pointing out that there was a chat. I saw the chat button, didn't realize that it was there. So, uh, definitely join us on Facebook, um, or YouTube live, um, and, and drop your comments there. We're working with a new system. This is my first time, first podcast without Craig or Josh hosting for me. So that way I know what's going on. Um. But we're only going to get better from here on out. Was uh, let's hope for a good year of Guardians baseball. So, um, also we need a name because waiting for next year's Guardians podcast is is not a great name. And Mitch and I have thrown around so many, so many horrible names. Uh, I think my favorite was Wingardium Elibatosa, which is just it's god awful. But it was listen. 
everybody that is listening to us right now, sit, save me. Please join our Discord. We have a public channel where not only can you tell me that I'm an idiot for my takes, but you can also give these two name suggestions and save me from listening to any more of them. I am begging you. I am it at was, their mercy. It was fantastic. Please. It was it was all I've ever wanted out of a podcast name, and it's it's the worst name that's ever happened. I so. still think the Guardians of the Hidden Temple, uh, like that, is pretty good. And if we just want, the I know is, is, it's like they'll think we're a '90s Nickelodeon podcast. This is a plea for help to everybody listening. It to can't. Right it, it doesn't have to not be. I don't know if that's a <laughs> sentence, but you know, we could definitely make it a '90s TV podcast. That's the thing. Yeah, I'm so, down to talk about Hey Arnold. I, right. Exactly. <laughs> Rocco's Modern Life. I'm right there with you. Absolutely, so, absolutely. I am I am much older than both of you. So I definitely know these <laughs> cartoons way better than you guys. But all right, guys. Well, it was great talking to you. Uh, we'll have this up on the site for you guys tomorrow. Um, check us out, like I said, on Facebook when we're live. Um, and this will also post to YouTube after the end. Uh, watch us there. Listen to us on the Waiting for Next Year podcast uh, feed wherever you guys get your podcasts. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.